Good morning, City Chapel. Uh, welcome, everybody that's uh, joining from around the world. What a crazy time we live in. Uh, appreciate you guys' patience. Just want to thank the deacons and the elders for trying to work this out so we can still gather virtually. Um, uh, my name is Aaron Shepard. For those who don't know, um, I will be preaching today and, and kind of running the service and walking you through. Uh, the very first thing we're going to hit right away is just the announcements. They are going to be on City Chapel Connect, on Realm, our other methods that way, um, and on Facebook on our regular page for City Chapel. So feel free to go there in more detail. Uh, first things foremost, congregational care. The uh, elders are really wanting us to be able to express that there's lots available. They encourage you both uh, to uh, get a hold of uh, our brothers and sisters on City Chapel Connect, as well as Realm, as well as uh, looking towards uh, getting hold of your life group. We're hoping that they're all running virtually. I know mine is. It was a great time last week. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, they do want to make sure it's uh, open, though, that if you're in a spot where you're being isolated or you're feeling there's some struggles you need to, to work out and have some uh, greater assistance with, Matt has offered up his uh, contact um, at uh, an email there. He'll coordinate with you after. It's uh, mvanderleek at hotmail.com, M-V-A-N-D-E-R-L-E-E-K at hotmail. So feel free to go there. They also want to express uh, that they know it's a difficult time for the process of uh, tithing and giving. And so for those that call City Chapel home, uh, it's been a bit of a difficulty for some of us. So uh, they encourage you that there's three ways to do so in the future here going forward until we join together again live and in person. First and foremost is e-transfer, getting hold of the deacons at deacons at citychapel.ca, deacons at citychapel.ca. Uh, also, contact your institution that you go to for your banking, and they may be able to show you how to set up a pre-authorized debit if that's something you uh, feel more comfortable with, uh, as well as just emailing the deacons, period. If you're struggling to figure out how to do that, either mailing a check or dropping it off somewhere, uh, they're more than welcome to try to figure out a way to help us do that. So feel free to get a hold of them. We do want to celebrate and offer up uh, new member candidates, which are Jen and Joel Pallon. Uh, we're going to be encouraged to uh, uh, bring forward, if there is any, uh, problems uh, that you might have uh, in that uh, scope and that sphere with these two individuals uh, that are biblically based, uh, please feel free to get a hold of the elders no later than April 16, 2020. Uh, I'm sure there's no problems that way, but if you feel there is, then feel free to do that. We welcome them. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating that right away. Uh, they also want to talk about pulpit discipleship. They are still going. I was able to end for the, attend for the first time this week, actually. It was a very good time. Uh, April 20 uh, at 6.45 p.m. I think it goes to about 8 or 8.30 uh, via Zoom. You can see City Chapel Connect or Realm, and you can join the link that's on there. Um, pretty easy to log in and go there. Uh, they'll be going through the uh, chapter 11 of Grasping God's Word, um, so feel free to get a hold of the elders or deacons to get more info on that book um, to go from there. Uh, mustard seed update that we are trying to uh, work with the mustard seed. We have offered up the uh, City Chapel location. Um, they've been working closely with them to offer um, options for uh, provincial um, social distancing standards that are out there, so they're trying to uh, give a kind of a, an extension of their services for overnight sheltering. Uh, so please keep those guys in prayer, especially the, the clients and the staff, to be safe, and that we might be able to be uh, an assistance during this tough time. Obviously, you can imagine how hard it would be in the best of cases, let alone being uh, homeless and having to try to find a place to stay uh, with the right standards for social distancing. So please feel free to keep them there. Uh, surprisingly, as you can tell now, if you have any gifting in video editing, we would love to have anybody step up to that plate. I know Curtis is, is doing the best he can and doing great at it. But again, if you want to get a hold of Deacons, if you feel you have uh, the ability to, uh, to help out in that area, by all means, uh, get a hold of them at deacons at citychapel.ca, deacons at citychapel.ca. Um, 
the elders also want to encourage everybody to really keep uh, up to date on City Chapel Connect and Realm as uh, updates and communication come very, very uh, quickly and things change rapidly, as we can all understand. So please keep up to date that way. They try the best they can to release as they can. So um, please, uh, if you can, again, keep to update, to up to date with those if you're able to. Um, Sunday services, obviously, with restrictions right now, uh, we are not going to gather uh, at the uh, at the main building, obviously, uh, but we will be going on the City Chapel uh, Facebook page, which probably most of you are on right now, but if you can pass it on to family and friends, people that are wanting to uh, broadcast in and, and take this in with us, sorry, our broadcast, uh, we'll be starting at 10.30 every Sunday morning, uh, Lord willing, that way, so... The uh, last couple things we'll hit on here is the ministry highlight. They're going to highlight the men's ministry uh, uh, for men's fellowship night, sorry. Uh, these things happen, I believe, uh, once every other month. Uh, temporary hiatus right now, but still keep that in your prayers as it's a, 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 an event and, and a ministry trying to encourage the growth and development of uh, godly uh, men and faithful men to rise up. So these have been great. Just uh, please pray that you guys can uh, uh, keep them in your prayers, sorry. And uh, if you have any questions or want to uh, see more about that or know more about that, uh, please get a hold of uh, Logan Nielsen. Probably give him a break right now just because the baby's coming. We're praying for you, Shy and, and Logan and family. But uh, uh, if you do need some information there, please feel free to get a hold of them. And then last but not least, uh, there's always a deacon on duty every month. One or two of them are there. So uh, this month it is actually Logan, which I think is probably going <laughs> to be tough for him. But feel free to, uh, again, get a hold of him. But it's through the deacons at City Chapel. Uh, .ca. So uh, that's the, the core of it. There's lots more online, but hopefully you guys can check out there. Thanks again for uh, coming. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, let me just pray quickly to uh, start the service and have uh, Barbie and uh, Luke helping uh, lead us in the next little bit here. So please bow your heads with me if you could. Uh, dear Lord Almighty in heaven above, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the struggles and the trials as well as the blessings. And Lord, the uh, relief you give, Lord, I know many of us have a, a variety of stresses and a variety of struggles uh, that we are uh, working through our head, Lord. Help us, as we've heard in previous sections, Lord, to cast our anxieties on you, Lord, in order to be humble before you, knowing that you are a good God who gives good gifts to his people, Lord. May unemployment, may family stress, uh, may isolation and, and quarantine may uh, troubling times with the economy and other things fall away, Lord, and may we come before you knowing that you are the God of the universe who takes good care of us, Lord, in both our provision as well as our prosperity, Lord. May we have uh, both as you see fit, and may we pour back whatever we receive uh, back into your namesake to make much of you in glory and praise. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Our call to worship today is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Chain will break as a broken heart. 
Send out your light and your truth, let them lead me, bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God, to guide my exceeding joy, and then I your light and your truth, let them lead me, bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God, the God my exceeding joy, then I will praise him with all my heart.
Lord, we thank you for this time um, that we can meet virtually together and uh, sing to you still, Lord. We pray that um, our voices would be loud within our households, Lord, that we would be good examples for our children and sing. And we just thank you um, that during this time that we can still be together in spirit and we long for the day that we can be together again um, in body. And yeah, Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray you bless Shep as he brings your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 
Well, welcome again. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, we are going to be doing the Old Testament reading first, and then we'll uh, head over to the scripture we have today. So um, the Old Testament reading is from Psalms 84, Psalm 84, and I will start in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in the house, in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers with pool, covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Uh, give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in, the courts, in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. Of wickedness. For, the Lord God, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. May the Lord add his own bleeding, uh, uh, blessing to the reading of his word. And now as we transition into uh, the next section, we're going to be starting the last uh, sermon, the final sermon in this series on uh, 1 Peter. Um, so this is going to be the summary, the, uh, the roadmap for what we're going to hear today. Uh, number one, there's going to be two points, the first of which is going to be exhorting God's true people, is what uh, Peter clarifies. And number two, declaring God's true grace. The two roadmap points, exhorting God's true people and declaring God's true grace. So turn with me to uh, 1 Peter 5, verses 12 to 14, and we'll read the section and get right into it. So. It says in verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Again, may the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Let me pray for a blessing on uh, this preaching, and we'll get right into it. So dear Lord Almighty in heaven above, we thank you for this day again. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds through your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be illuminated in the, in the scriptures and to uh, be challenged in our hearts, Lord. Help us to uh, find a way to uh, hear what you've said to us, as well as the people back in the day that we're reading this from, Lord, and the reason why it was placed in the canon of scripture for us to hear today. Help us to apply that in our hearts, Lord, and be transformed in that, Lord. Help to calm and to quiet anything of me, Lord, and help to bring forward what you have your people to hear today. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. And so as we come through this, obviously this is um, the, uh, the, uh, the summary of the, of the entire book put in the, in the end of the book. I'm sure some of you were actually reading through this and saying, wow, uh, that's just a little bit of an exit and a, and a period and let's get out of here. What's, what's Shep going to preach through here? So and I kind of felt the same way, but I was rebuked by uh, somebody in my, <laughs> my life group that, uh, you know, there's laws to happen in these, these end few verses. There's a reason it was in canon. And so I'm going to encourage uh, us to kind of open our minds that way. So as we, uh, as we focus in on the very first verse here, um, we hear Pe uh, Peter share this. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, 
I have written to you briefly. So if we focus in there by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, that's what Peter is saying in meaning that he's a brother of an apostle of Christ. So what he's trying to say uh, here for Silvanus is, is he's referencing specifically that he is above reproach. He's trying to give an aid to his faithful brother. He, he was trying to show that, uh, that, that he, he has a caution and a protection for his dear friend. Uh, now, why did he need Sylvanus? We don't know. Maybe Peter at this time was blind or had a hard time writing. Uh, we don't know, but he was making very clear that whoever might read this and might have heard that Sylvanus was the one that penned this, he wanted to make sure that he protected his brother's character. Uh, similar to an elder or a deacon coming on board, he wanted to make sure that was there. And, and why else did he do this? I think Peter was also trying to make sure that he honored a faithful brother. He wanted to make sure that, that it was known that this man had walked with him. Um, it says, but Silvanus, a faithful, Silvanus, sorry, a faithful brother as I regard him, also was giving the title of a scribe of an apostle of Christ. Uh, this is, this is a, a protection for the writing itself to be above ridicule so that we, we didn't have people attacking this and saying, well, it was only from a man that wasn't an apostle. It wasn't actually Peter's words, but Peter's saying, no, I have written to you by Silvanus. And lastly, it says, uh, ultimately in this, that it's a revelation of an apostle of Christ. That this writing is above rejection or being set aside because somehow a man that wasn't an apostle was writing. It was obviously a clear point of saying, we want to make sure that when this is sent out, that it isn't disqualified for one of many reasons we're sure as we hear back. This is very similar to Paul endorsing Mark, or uh, who they call John Mark in other sections of scriptures. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, we hear, Luke alone is with me, as Paul says. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Paul is giving uh, an exhortation or giving a... Um, uh, not exhortations, or giving a, an encouragement that this man is good and faithful in the service. And actually, this is after there's some conflict, obviously, with, with, with John Mark and, and, and Barnabas from previous times there. But again, it's similar to what Paul endorsed Apollos, actually. We know that there's infighting in the early church. There's vying for status, and they're fighting over who they actually learned under, or who they were taught by. And, and Paul makes it very clear in First, uh, First Corinthians sorry, 3, 5. But what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So he wasn't saying that Apollos was, a, was a, uh, an apostle by any means, but he's saying if you're going to fight over this, we are both merely servants and, and teachers of one God who appointed either for, for both camps that you're getting into. This should not be infighting. It's an endorsement. It's an encouragement. It's, it's a bringing up and giving status to somebody. So this introduction by Salvanus, I have written by Silvanus, I have written to you, is an echo also of Luke and his recording of, uh, of, of the book of Luke and obviously in the book of Acts. It says in Luke 1, in the very beginning, as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So uh, Peter here, I think, is just setting up establishment and, and keeping the normative uh, going forward that if there is somebody else penning this, that, that both he is accounted for and said to be in the service of an apostle, but also given good character and good status uh, within his service for, for the Lord. And so 
Peter, after saying this introduction, which I think is a sweet introduction to, to understand how this was written as well as who was working with Peter at this time, he goes into uh, the heart of this letter. So as we go into the next part of verse 12, um, it says this, that the whole purpose behind this book is exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So in Peter's own words, the purpose of 1 Peter boils down to two main goals, the first of which is this, exhorting the true church of God. Not just by offering to do this or to don't do that type of statements or challenges. How did he do this? How did he exhort? Um, that is an important question that we really need to dive into and look at other scriptures to understand how the apostles themselves did this. So I want to actually encourage you that, that I think if you read this, um, he did it by repeatedly revealing God's work on our behalf and then calling us to respond in light of those realities by living out who we are in Christ, by what we do, by what we think, and how we love. That's a concise summary. But I want to actually dive in deep really quickly. I think it's very important for us to understand this uh, by a piece from, from Justin Taylor on the Gospel Coalition almost a decade ago. I remember reading this early on in my, in, in my uh, faith, early on in my faith, and I was very, very encouraged by it. And basically it talks about imperatives or what we should do versus indicatives, what God has already done. And I believe it's vital to understand these two in the proper context to understand how Peter has repeatedly given exhortations in this section of Scripture. And so I'm going to read that very quickly for you. If you can follow along with me later on, you can search it. Uh, the title of it is called Imperatives, Subtract Indicatives Equals Impossibilities, or Imperatives Without Indicatives Equal Impossibilities. So I think he brilliantly explains that as he goes on, the dominant mode of evangelical preaching on sanctification, the main way to motivate for godly living, sounds something like this. You are not blank, but you should be blank. Therefore, do or be blank. Fill in the blank with anything good or biblical. Holy, salt and light, feed the poor, walk humbly, give generously, etc. So you are not holy, you should be holy. So therefore, guess what? Be holy is what he's trying to say. He goes on, this is not how Paul and the other New Testament writers motivated the church in light of the resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit. They did give imperatives or what we should do, but they do so only based on indicatives of what God has done. Let me read that again really quickly. They only gave imperatives, what we should do, based on the indicatives of what God has already done. This is super important. As he goes on, it says, the problem with the typical evangelical motivation towards radical or sacrificial living is that imperatives, what we should do, divorced from indicatives, what God has already done, become impossibilities, to quote Tulian Shavidian. Or another way that Tulian puts it, gospel obligations must be based on gospel declarations. They're not the other way around. As he goes on, this became, sorry, this become what you are way of speaking is strange for many of us. It seems precisely backwards, but we must adjust the mental, mental compass in order to walk this biblical path and recalibrate in order to speak the biblical language. We see this all throughout the New Testament. He goes on and gives a lot of examples, but here are just a few. You are unleavened, indicative. Later on, therefore, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Imperative. 
This is 1 Corinthians 5, 7. As we go on, Romans 6, again, 18 and 19, has very similar language. Having been set free from sin, um, you have become slaves of righteousness. What God has done, what we are, the indicative. Therefore, now present yourselves, the imperative, your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Again, last but not least in Galatians, those who belong to Christ have, just, sorry, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, indicative. Therefore, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Imperative. Galatians 5, 16 and 24. He ends with this. He says, Pastor, are you encouraging your people to become who they already are in Christ Jesus? The challenge is, are we trying to flip the script, or are we really living ourselves and saying, I am called to certain things only because Christ has already done fill in the blank. Many of us don't. And now, what's crazy, if we go back to 1 Peter, it, with this kind of context, this filter on, listen to all of these uh, challenges and exhortations that he is giving to us. In, in, verses, uh, in verse 1, 3, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In verse 16 of chapter 1, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 2, 1, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. 2, 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In verse 12, be subject to for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There's over 35 separate exhortations or challenges that we are given, and we have to understand it's only able to happen and only being called to us based off what God has already done for us. All of these things are prefaced by the unbelievable truths laid out in chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to read this to you because this is how he starts off First Peter in the very beginning. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to, li to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen very carefully, City Chapel, as we boil that down. This is what I hope and pray is imprinted on our heart. I pray the Spirit might move us to understand that because we have been born again, the indicative of what God has done, through Christ's resurrection, an inheritance that is, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, we are exhorted to, that's the imperative set our hope on Christ's grace, to be conformed 
not to be conformed to our former passions, to conduct ourselves with fear, to love one another earnestly, to put away malice, deceit, and hypocrisy, and on and on and on. This is the foundation we do it under, not on our own power, because we won't do it. Amen? I want to stop right here if I could. It's a great section. I'm encouraged by the Lord that because of what he has done, I'm called to do things in response and equipped to do so. But there's more. We're going to hit that right now. If we can, we're going to move and transition over to God's second, or sorry, not God's, Peter's second goal in the word of God that he presents here in 1 Peter. And that is to declare God's true grace. Peter wasn't declaring any grace. No, he was declaring true grace as his mission. Peter wasn't declaring cheap grace, which is so common nowadays, cheap grace that Bonhoeffer defined as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Christ Jesus. It's, it's happening all the time. It's an easy grace. He's my boyfriend. He loves my sin. It's okay. There's not much to it. I don't have to repent. Peter wasn't declaring false grace either, which God has, for, so, so what that would mean is God has forgiven me once and for all, right? Therefore, future and past and present are dealt with. So the sins that I indulge in or walk within, they're no concern. He's not worried about them. I shouldn't be worried about them. What's the big concern there, right? It's garbage. It's been garbage for years, for thousands of years, actually, as Paul himself had to write about this and rebuke this over and over and over again. In Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, we hear, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul very clearly rebukes this. And Peter goes through to say his mission in this whole book is to declare the true grace of God. The grace that declares he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, echoing back to Isaiah. For you were straying like sheep, but have, no, have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 2.24 Peter was declaring true grace, a grace that declares the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Gloria is the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth, as John 1.14 says. Peter is declaring true grace, so perfectly understood by John Piper as he says, the grace that he's speaking of here is God's pursuit of our undeserved good. That's the true grace. Peter is declaring here the true grace that is constantly challenged and twisted as we hear in Jude 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wrote 1 Peter to elect, oh I said I had a hard time every time, Peter wrote 1 Peter to elect exiles as well as those who are reading it right now and for the rest of our days until we go home again, who will read it in the future, to exhort God's true people and declare God's true grace. Which he finishes with this at the very end of 12, which I love, stand firm in it. I found it so fitting and encouraging that he started with, 
as I read in the beginning, and ends with the same type of exhortations. Stand firm in God's true grace. Knowing what I said in the very beginning and knowing where I'm ending now, stand firm in it. Stand firm in the true grace of God because by grace you have been saved through faith, right? And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand for we should walk in them, that we should walk within them. Ephesians 2, 8, 10. As one of my favorite theologians declares it, true grace does not lead to lewdness or licentiousness. It is both pardon so we can survive and power so we can stand. We are given this true grace as a pardon and survival before a holy God and power to stand in between that time. It's a beautiful picture now, as we finish this book, Peter leaves us with some simple greetings and encouragements. But as we will see, they actually reveal a big backdrop, a beautiful backdrop of his final exhortation. It says in, in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, She who is at Babylon, who likewise is chosen, sends you greetings, and so does, my, so does Mark, my son. 1 Peter 5, 13. So we have to ask questions. This is the time of kind of Bible geek study time. Who is she at Babylon? Peter could have intended this reference to be Rome, as many times Babylon has been given synonymous uh, status with, with kind of uh, Rome. Um, the reality also is that Peter is, is obviously writing a, from one location in one church to a multitude of churches in another region who are exiles, who are separated off. So this seems to be the, probably the most commonly held opinion by the, uh, by the commentators out there. And if that is the case, um, then how was she chosen? How was she the one that would be chosen? Uh, well, that title makes sense as. But I think it might just be, again, um, him talking in veiled language. A lot of times we see that in the uh, New Testament when sharing letters across these things, these types of uh, distances and, and, and engagements. And also it kind of is an echo back to 1 Peter 2, 9, where he, he talks very openly about this current group of churches being, in verse 9, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so I think that might make that sound a bit better, if that makes sense. Might be a, a, a bit of a, uh, sorry, a bit of a, a strong sell point for that opinion. Um, but who else could she at Babylon be? There are other opinions. Peter could have been alternatively saying, maybe this is his wife. Maybe it's a, a hidden um, kind of a shading to, to his wife where he is at and she's giving greetings. Uh, that, that gives a lot more credence or a lot more understanding to the idea that, that Mark, his son, is also lumped in there. So that could be certainly uh, another opinion. A little less uh, common, but, but also still popular in some commentaries and, and perspectives there. Um, but that would obviously move us on to who is Mark, obviously, now, if we have to go through that. Um, Peter, again, is probably uh, going to be put in a tough spot here to be understood, but, but one of the most common ones going hand-in-hand hand with the first theory that, uh, you know, uh, she who is at Babylon is actually the church. Then this might make sense that this would be John Mark, or, or the one that they called John also called Mark. Uh, the one who was the companion of Paul and Barnabas, who was possibly Barnabas' cousin, um, uh, the person or the son of the woman, uh, named Mary, where, where Peter retreated to after being let out of prison by an angel in Acts 12. If you turn there in verses 11 uh, to 12, we, we read this in, in Acts 12. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord was, has sent uh, his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, 
he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So that could be another theory that would go hand in hand with the first idea. But again, who else could Mark be? Like I had alluded to before, it might, it might be literally um, his son, Mark, who was named maybe after John Mark. Um, we know that there was some, some softening and some ministry, and we understand that, that Peter would have known John Mark. And for all we know, maybe he was a traveling partner for many years, uh, and maybe he just chose to, to name his, his son Mark. And maybe it was a personal greeting from his wife and his son Mark. We, we don't know, though. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, we, we don't have uh, the full picture. We don't know who these two uh, people were, whether it was a church um, an individual, uh, you know, assistant to apostle, or whether it was his wife and his son, but I really don't think that's the point anyways. I think that what we see here, though, what we do know is that Peter placed a vital importance and focus upon the personal slash corporate greetings and acknowledgments from the individual and or pe- individual people or, or churches to the elect exiles. So he, he was making a point at the very end that they would understand and know that there are people and or whole churches that were trying to let them know to be encouraged. He, he gives a personal greeting by Silvanus, a dear brother, is passing on my exhortations to you specifically, not generally. I wrote this for you. She who is at Babylon, Mark, my son, are sending their greetings to you specifically, not generally. And so I was brought back to the reality that this is a sweet, sweet, time and revelation by Peter to show the the corporate, the wide-reaching church love, church's love, sorry, for other churches, the personal uh, focus and greeting and prayers and and love for these people. And it was brought me back to a a story that I heard that just kind of echoed that, that sometimes we forget how the small person or the little person or the forgotten church or the exile church can lose hope, can can, can lose being encouraged. And, And so, there's a quarterback in the NFL who uh, came out as a huge, huge recruit and got a huge money deal, but really had not much money. He was starting off his first career, and he was doing his first training camp, and he played in Houston a few years ago when there was that huge flooding and, and hurricane and, and, and problems down there, and, and, and the whole city got just ravaged. And uh, he would come every day to, to the workout center, and he would see people, and he met these three little ladies, these three little ladies that worked as cafeteria workers that filled their plates with food and put them on the line for them. And he was raised by a great woman and he got to know them. He talked to them every day. He would, he would speak to them and, and ask how they're doing. I got to know them. And, and when this tragedy hit down there, he had asked them one day after, how are you doing? And they struggled to say, yeah, we, we've, we've lost everything. All we have is our job, um, you know, but we're getting through. And so before his first game, his, his pregame meal, he came for that meal and he walked to that line and he had a set of three envelopes that were equally split with his first paycheck for his first game that he broke down and he, and he told them, hey, take this and take care of yourself. We love you. Thanks for all you do. And he handed it to him. And so, as you can only imagine, it's a super moving story of thousands of dollars he gave away to each of those ladies. And I can only imagine how they felt like I'm a I'm a lunch lady. I'm a, I'm a cafeteria worker. Why are you giving this money? But he knew them by name. He greeted them every day, and he wanted to make sure they knew that he, he had them in his heart and his prayers. He wanted to bless them. And I think if we look at this, that, that would probably be sweet words in a similar fashion from Peter, saying that these people, Sylvanus, myself, are writing to you. These, these other churches and these other people care about you. 
and to encourage them that way. We forget sometimes what it might be as an exile in a tough, tough time and hearing these words coming from a sweet, sweet man who loved them and cared for them. Now at the very end, how Peter now transitions, I think it's very important after those personal greetings, to his last exhortation in verse 14. He says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Okay, I got to stop there. <laughs> I love it. And then I'm like, uh, okay, I didn't see it going that way. Um, I'll, I'll confess that uh, since this quarantine went through, I have longed to be hugged by my dear friends, Logan and Joel. I, I love how intimate and how real and how genuine their hugs are. I'm a hugger. I'm a toucher. I love that part of it. But I have to be honest, I have not once longed for a big, holy, loving kiss from either of those, which they could totally plant on me if they had me uh, in their clutches. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, I'm sure many of you are saying, what does this look like? Is this literally kiss one another? Uh, Curtis, who's here and I, did, did we wrong each other by not greeting each other with a kiss? Uh, were we in, in, in bad graces with each other that way? Were we uh, wronging what to, God has asked us to do here? Or are we just simply supposed to express, you know, some form of intimacy and affection? Does he mean every time we get together? Or does he mean only sometimes or as an application? And so I was brought back. I shared this actually with uh, pulpit discipleship. And at these times where I don't understand, is this a cultural thing? Is this a, a normative thing that we're supposed to do? Well, what's the answer? Uh, a great man named John Stott, a, a wonderful theologian that blessed us for years uh, that the Lord gave us. He's an Anglican British minister. I recommend reading and listening to him. He's a, he's a great man. Um, he had a, a way of breaking these things down. When we get to the place where we're wrestling with, what does it actually mean? What are the guidelines? How does this apply to us right now today? And so he breaks down to three areas. The first thing we can do with any scripture is just total rejection. I think nobody at City Chapel holds this view that whenever we're uncomfortable, we have the freedom just to chuck it. Not applicable to us. We don't care. It doesn't matter. That's just for those people at those times. It's all gone now. We live under grace. We're great. The flip side is, and some of you might hold this view, I haven't seen you live this out, though, is just wooden literalism is the second view, that we take what it says and we do it. He says to greet each other with, with, with a kiss of love. And so Curtis and I after are going to smack each other in the face with some great holy kisses. Uh, when I see you guys next at church, you guys better be smacking it on me if this is your view. Um, I don't know if I hold that view. You can wrestle within that where your view might be on this. Uh, but I think the last one is what he says, is that there's a cultural transposition saying, what did it mean then and what does it mean now? And he talked about how if you saw me out jogging, you might say Shep jogs, it's a little weird, <laughs> but uh, he's dressed up in a spandex suit with some headbands and some water bottle on his back and he's doing marathons apparently. Uh, if you then saw me at my workplace, you might see me very similar to what I'm dressed like right now. If you would have unfortunately been there to see me at my dad's funeral, uh, done up very formally, but weeping and having a hard time. You may have seen me in a different dress there uh, or on a weekend out, uh, you know, at sometimes wearing the gear that I would normally wear with maybe a, a wrap t-shirt or another brand that might be weird that you wouldn't have normally seen me in. At no time would you ever not be able to recognize me being me. But the clothing and the presentation and kind of the setting of that does not impede the expression of it. And so I think that's maybe what Peter is reflecting here that we can apply right now. And so if we look back in 1 Peter 3.8, he's already alluded to these kind of things being happening, these things being called upon us. So in verse 8 of, of, of chapter 3, he says, Finally, all of you, 
have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Again, Peter made similar pleas in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, not just generally, but earnestly, passionately, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, as I was reading this, I was trying to say, what does that look like? What does greeting somebody intimately, closely with a holy kiss look like, even on that general cultural transposition? What would that look like today? What would that look like? And I had to ask myself, you know, where have I seen that acted out? Where have I seen that reflected? Where have I seen true love just poured out without any unapologetic restraint? And I'll share with these things here uh, some some things that really impacted me. So I might cry a bit, but I wanted to share you, with you the first things that came to my mind in trying to see where I was in my most genuine, unrestrained affection. I have it for my kids, and I have it for my, my wife and my friends, but I, I was actually blessed either with some really beautiful, encouraging dreams. Some might say on the more charismatic side, some, some visions maybe from the Lord to, to soothe my soul um, with some ointment, of some areas that have really troubled me over the years, but within the last year, I've, I've struggled. My mom, unfortunately, uh, some that may not know this, has dementia. My dad passed away in, in August, and it's been a real hardship for me. Preaching last time and casting your anxieties on God in humility it was a really troubling yet convicting sermon because I, I wrestle with my mom, and I, I mourn my dad, and I worry with anxiety, and I don't do it well, not to mention business and family and those kind of things, but... Within the last year or so, uh, I don't sleep all that well sometimes, and at that time, I try to serve my wife by going downstairs to have a spare bedroom, and so I walked downstairs one night after not being able to, to sleep very well. I laid on my bed down there, and then I noticed that there was a light down the stairs. It's just a light you could see, kind of, you tip your head down, you can see it, and so I, I heard somebody call my name, and it was the middle of the night, and I leaned my head over the bed, and I look over, and I'm like, Hello? As I got up and kind of walked through the doorway and looked to the staircase, I saw somebody walking down the stairs in what looked like a wedding dress. And again, I hadn't fallen asleep, or at least I didn't think I had. Maybe I had, I don't know. Again, maybe it's a vision God gave me. But as real as this wood is right now, I looked and the woman coming down was my mom. And her voice, I... Hadn't heard for years at this point. Ken spoken for a long time. Not to me, again, specifically. And she was perfect. She was in this wedding dress like I'd never seen her. And I ran. I sprinted. I ran to the stairs. I just hugged her. I'm like, Mom, oh, I love you so much. And I, I, I was holding her. And, and, and then either I woke up or, or whatnot, but I was on the stairs. And, uh, and it was gone like that. And... Uh, I had a very similar dream where I, my wife's been away the last couple of weeks and, and uh, as I was there one night, again, I wasn't sleeping very well in the middle of the night at three in the morning. I, I went and grabbed a water and I came back and you may have been in that spot where you're laying on your back in your bed and just wishing you could sleep, but I was wrestling with uh, my frustrations and my anxiety. And uh, as I sat there staring at the ceiling and blinking my eyes and trying to make myself go to sleep, I noticed, again, a light from the hallway, like daylight, but it's pitch black in my room. And I'm like, what is going on? So I, I get up and I look, and it's daylight in my hallway. I could see it from my living room, like my living room and dining room. So I, I kind of walk out, and I hear voices like my brother-in-law's, and, and I look, and, and 
It's a table. We have our table, and my brother-in-law is facing me on the one side of the table talking, and then through him is the body and a hat and the shoulders in broad daylight of my dad. And I heard my dad talking. I'm like, Sheldon, is that my dad? And he looked at me like, well, yeah. And my dad turned around and goes, yeah. Who else do you think it would be, Boo? And I sprinted and I held him. And uh, his shoulder was his shoulder and his smell was his smell. And I just told him, uh, I love you, Pops. I've missed you. And again, I woke up and I was standing in my kitchen in pitch black or my dining room. And it was some of the most realist expressions I could remember of me sprinting, being deeply invested and passionate in trying to express my love for somebody, of trying to pull them in. It transcended the position we had and it demonstrated an unrestrained affection I had for them. And it really encouraged me. It showed my heart for them. And so I know those are just visions at best, you know, at their smallest level, it's, it's a dream. But I was also drawn back and reflecting how I see this acted out on more of a real level as opposed to dream world within our own body. You know, I was brought back to even this week having late night calls from my friend Darren to see how I'm doing. How, how are you going? How's your business? How's life? How's Jesus? How's your faith? Are you encouraged? I was brought back to memories that maybe people forget about or don't know about that we started homeschooling this year and Les Moffitt, who I know you're going to be mad at me for calling you out, but they call Sylvanus out for his good things, so Les, you can live with it. How we asked her to take on our little one, Autumn, because we wanted people to impact her and pour into her that love Jesus and have passions for things that Jesus gave them. And as she takes her out, or used to at least, weekly, every other week and, and, and sometimes every month to different activities to, create, to God's creation, I thought, how sweet is that? I don't get that. Normally, we can't just make that up for our daughter. So when my dad passed away, we had to move out my whole house and my life group without even asking. He said, hey, can we help you with that? And came over one night and we moved it out. One of the most difficult times of my life. I saw City Chapel pouring these things out. The first time I preached, I remember, Dale came down from Grand Prairie. He didn't tell me he was coming, but heard I was preaching and drove all the way down and surprised me that day. And probably most intimately, most recently, these times of these, these affection moments expressed out in full technicolor. Kelly from our life group, Kelly Arthur, came over the night after my dad passed away and she was almost in tears and just saying, I, I know you're hurting. I don't know what I can do to help, but to cook and give you a meal and give you some, some peace. I hope it's okay that you have this. One of the sweetest things we've ever received and so these reflections, I think, are kind of what Peter is re representing or reflecting or alluding to in greeting in and bringing in people for a loving, holy kiss. Deep, invested, genuine, passionate expressions of love for one another that transcend position, that demonstrate unrestrained affection. And ultimately, what's great about that is that if we do those things, that accomplishes what Peter says at the very end. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's what it brings. That's what it fosters. That's what it builds. It's a beautiful picture. And so in closing, I, I think it's, it's ultimately uh, Peter's focus to, to both um, 
exhort or encourage or call God's true people to reflect on and cling to God's true grace. But I think it would be very unfair and not complete to make the connection that it's only possible again because of what God has done. So if we're called to greet each other with a holy kiss or a loving kiss, we have to understand that it's incomplete, that we can never really do this, that we can't express those unrestrained affections without Christ himself freely welcoming the unrestrained hatred and unholy kiss of Judas. This time on Resurrection Sunday, I hope I can get through it because it was very hard for me the first time, so please give me your grace and mercy. But we cannot neglect the reality that Christ freely embraced the apathy of his earthly brothers and the betrayal of an unholy kiss. As Luke 22 reveals in verse 41, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there they appeared to him, an angel from heaven strengthening him. And again, in agony, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He was still worried about them. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd that was weaving up this hill all night. And the man called Jesus, one of the twelve, one of the intimate ones, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Romans 5 shares what this accomplished and what would happen after, as we all know the story of how he walked freely to the cross and was beaten and put to death and resurrected again. But Romans 5 tells the heart-wrenching story of what really was happening through Christ's embrace of sin and death, freely bringing it in close. In verse 12 of Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, and for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for many died through one man's trespass. Much more, have grace of, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. As, he, as it ends here, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. 
For as by one man's obedient, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's the story that we try to preach every week at City Chapel, that Christ welcomed in, he pulled close, he accepted death with a holy kiss so that he might free us from its grips, that he might call home his elect exiles and make new his rebellious yet beloved bride. City Chapel, may we welcome in, pull close, greet each other with a kiss of love so that we might celebrate our freedom from death's grip and sojourn home with our fellow elect exiles while glorifying our Savior for the forgiveness of our common rebellion. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Lord Almighty in heaven above, we thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for your gift of your Son and for the cross and for the resurrection, Lord. May those not be just dead echoes of things we know happened, but the reality of the work of you bringing in death for a death clutch to choke out its power over us, Lord, to free the captives, captives and to pay the ransom for those who are in rebellion, to bring home a bride who's adulterous, who was wayward, Lord, that you are making new and washing white with the word that you might leave us perfect and complete and lacking nothing, Lord. Help us to glorify you in that, we pray. In your name, Lord, amen. Please rise now in response and sing a doxology uh, with us together as led by Barbie and Luke. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So we're now going to transition to the time of communion. Uh, if you guys want to do me a favor and grab your Bibles, we're going to read very quickly through uh, Matthew 26, verse 17. Uh, through to 29. And so uh, I was uh, asked to share about communion, and uh, I was brought to the section of Scripture knowing this is going to be Resurrection Sunday after what I'd preached through, and so I wanted to read the picture of what the disciples went through in the institution of the Lord's Supper. And so if we start in verse 17, we're going to see the Passover in the concealed form and then the revealed form of the, the New Testament expression. Um, of the Lord's table. So it says in verse 17, Now on the first day of, the un, un, of, un, oh, of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go to the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. So as we see here, the setting and the backdrop 
for the Lord's table that's going to be instituted is the Passover meal, which is fitting. It's fitting because the Passover meal was a representation that was remembered once a year of God saving the nation of Israel, his people, his chosen people, from the hand of, at that time, uh, the most evil, tyrannical, and powerful entity on the planet that was oppressing them. And God came at the Passover and said, take this lamb and sacrifice it to me and, and paint the fence posts of your house with its blood. And as I see that in the homes, as you celebrate this meal the next day, or that day and then that night, we will pass over the judgment on those homes that have done this, that the blood will mark the ones that will be saved. And that's the context of the meal that they're partaking in, that Jesus called them to, to prepare that him and his disciples one last time would do on, on the earth. And so as it continues in verse 20, we see the concealed Passover meal move into the revealed it says, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will, be, will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said it so. And so here we see that Jesus has revealed that this was planned, that this is not a, a secondary notion or a contingency plan to save crazy people that uh, worked outside of his will, that this was from the beginning of time, as it was written of him, that this would happen. So we see at the Passover meal, we see that the Lord knew that his demise was coming for his people. And he continued on with them after declaring who was going to betray him and said in verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus was sharing the revealed Passover, the, the true and better Passover, the, the real picture that I was alluding to of the ultimate enemy, sin and death, would at one time be slain through the sacrifice of himself by the will of the Father, by the blood of the Son and by the working of the Holy Spirit, we, who are as called elect exiles, are being called home through the Lord's Supper, which echoes back to the concealed Passover. But we celebrate the revealed Passover, the, the Lord's table that we remember. And so as we transition now, City Chapel, as you maybe have forgotten, to maybe grab the elements that, that you may want to partake with us in, I want to go through some instructions and take some reverence, but also joyfully reflect upon this revealed Passover meal. As the elders have always said, even though it's a weird time right now, we understand, they do encourage us to, to come together as we are in common union here, um, to, uh, to come and partake of this open table um, as long as you can say amen and yes to these 
following three conditions, uh, that you possess faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior, that you've received Christian baptism, and you're in good standing with the current church eldership that you're part of. So even those that might be coming in from other church bodies, if you can say yes to those, as your conscience says so, please, uh, we, we would ask you or they would ask you, the elders, that you would partake in this. Fathers, we encourage you to lead your families through this time. It'd be a great opportunity as a lot of times we don't get these chances with our kids to go through the actual processes that we go through and the reflection and the partaking of this supper together. Um, I encourage you now that we are going to come and uh, we are going to process through um, that uh, we'll take the bread and we'll pray for it and please take it together. Uh, we'll take uh, the cup again together. We'll take it uh, together and uh, after me praying and taking it together, I will pray at the end, obviously, for all the things that we have and that we are blessed with and thankfulness based off this um, Lord's table that we are so thankful for in remembrance of Christ. So uh, right now, as I take the bread, as he has shared previously that we just read, he offered up his body, he, uh, freely took, the, took it and prepared it and offered it to us. May we now pray for that and take it together here today. Uh, let me pray for the bread. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings we've received, Lord, and we thank you that in this Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate the horrors of Good Friday with the triumphant return and the resurrection that you offered, Lord, we take up your body in remembrance, Lord, in this representation, Lord, this, this piece of bread that we, we remember as you called us to as a reflection of the Passover in full revelation, Lord. You, the slain lamb, paying the price for us, Lord. May we be humble yet joyful in taking this in remembrance of your body offered for us. We thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Likewise, let us pray for the cup. Lord Jesus, you, you've revealed, Lord, that a foreshadow Passover and the Lord's table, as you expressed it, Lord, as you instituted it, you said that um, you offered up wine. You said, take and drink of this. It's my blood. It's for the remission of sins. It's for the, the paying the price, the, the washing white of us the shedding of your blood, Lord, may we have a hum humility but a joy in partaking of this now, thousands of years later, knowing that through this act and through the shedding of your blood, many, many, many sons are being brought home to glory, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let us joyfully take this. In your name we pray, in your name we pray Lord. Amen. And finally, let us pray, just in reflection. Lord, we thank you for this time and this privilege of having communion, Lord. I know we long to be together again, Lord. But thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come into fellowship with you and common union with all of your people, Lord. Remembering the bread broken as your body offered to us, the wine offered as your blood shed, 
May we go this week, Lord, may we be encouraged in this reflection, Lord, to uh, be hopeful, Lord, in what you've already done, and to be motivated to do, Lord, what we're called to do in response. We pray these things in your name, Lord, for our benefit and for our blessing, but most importantly, your glory. Amen. Let's respond by singing this last song together. You can stand up if you like. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me the all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leopard's spots And melt the heart of stone Oh, Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Oh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. City Chapel. Uh, we are at the end. Um, let me end and, and uh, bring together uh, a final benediction for us to go out this week. It's adapted from Ephesians three seventeen to 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace this week. Blessings on you.